doesn't feel like I've lost a part of myself. It feels like I've become a better version of myself. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Journey Harris, and this is At Home, the podcast, a weekly podcast where we will be exploring concepts of home through the stories of people like you and me and everyone in between. This episode was recorded on a day that has always been dear to me, June 16th. My mother recalls this as a day she gave birth to her first child. It was 1994. His name was Wesley, and he was born with webbed toes and fingers, unable to breathe. The complications of his birth collided into the next day, which my mom always shared with me as the day that she watched O.J. Simpson running from the cops in a white Bronco on live TV, while a team of doctors worked to assemble a tube down Wesley's throat to help him breathe. Unfortunately, Wesley never lived to see his second week in the world. And while I never met him on this physical plane, I felt his spirit. I've shared that grief with my mom and I honor his journey. I'm learning right now that life, especially life in the middle of a pandemic, doesn't stop for firstborn mothers or grieving families. We have to make it our personal business to celebrate our triumphs, grieve our losses, and commemorate sweet and precious moments. And often these moments are the ones that shape our ideas of home in the first place. So I was extremely grateful to spend the evening of June 16th, 2020, chatting with my friend, Sarah Kim James. I admire Sarah so much for being a woman of God, a resource to her community, and an awesome wife and mother. Sarah is an LA-based entrepreneur, and in this episode, she shares what it's like to become home for another person while maintaining yourself as an individual, and she tells the story of her tumultuous yet beautiful childbirth experience. Well, I'm Sarah Kim James. <laughs> I'm still working on that last name <laughs> thing, marriage. Um, I have a platform uh, called By Way of Us. It used to be called By Way of Brooklyn, but now it's By Way of Us because I live in Los Angeles. Um, and we create um, educational events for entrepreneurial women, uh, which that was before the pandemic happened. Uh, so we're going to have to see how that pivots and how that edits. Um, before the pandemic happened, too, I was pregnant. And uh, during this whole pandemic, uh, I've just become a new mom. So that is like capital M title of my life that I'm really, really excited about and excited to share about now as well. Yeah. And I saw that you did like a, a piece with Architectural Digest, I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> and they explored your home? It was so awesome. Um, it's not so much that Alex and I love getting press. Alex gets a lot of press, my husband, because of the brand that he has. Um, and I think, oddly, I've become more private the older I've gotten. Um, but our friend Abby is a really talented interior designer. <laughs> and we really wanted to help get her press for helping us help with our house, which is like, I don't know, at 34, it's cool to be able to hire your friends as interior designers for the house that you bought. Like, it's it's like things that I never could have imagined doing. It's been a really cool experience to be able to see friends who are talented, hire friends who are talented, get featured on something like Ar Architectural Digest. They, uh, it's their, like, younger site called Get Clever. Clever is their site. Um, and it's funny, the way that you and I are talking – um, Carly Olson, the girl that interviewed us, her and I had like only FaceTime and been on the phone for a really long time and then recently met last week after oh, wow. a year of talking. It's so funny. So from that, 
segment, I saw that you all were very intentional about your home. So shout out to y'all's interior designer um, because she did a really amazing job. But what was your home like for you when you were a kid? Yeah, it was when I think about growing up in my house, it just makes me smile. Like when you ask me that question, it's just like, I think a lot of people have lots of feelings about home, but when I think about it, I can see Bible verses in English and Korean plastered all over in different frames around my house. Um, We always had a big backyard. I'm from Washington State. Um, And so always being outside, um, riding bikes, um, always feeling really safe. And... uh, yeah, always feeling a really a closeness with my sister and my parents, honestly. Um, yeah, I think safety and like confidence are two things that come to mind very quickly. Um, and it wasn't in a, wow, you're the best kind of way, but I think safety breeds confidence in a strange way. And my mom and dad always instilled sort of if anything happens, you can always come home. You know, if you get in trouble for something, we're always going to be here. Um, if you feel like you mess up, there's no mess up that you can do that would ever change our love for you. So I think, yeah, I think safety and confidence are two things that come up really quickly, for metaphorically. I can feel that as well. My mom was very good at making sure that I could rely on her no matter what. And of course, there's some things when you're growing up that you just don't want to tell your parents. It's like, I'd rather just pretend like I'm an independent adult and handle this myself. (laughs) But at the end of the day, I feel like as children, when we're young, we have this idea that our parents are supposed to provide for us. Like we know that there are certain things that we can expect. And even before we're adolescents, when we're infants, there's the natural instincts that infants have that just show that they know that they're supposed to be taken care of. Like when you touch your cheek, I'm sure you touch Kiko's cheek and he might turn his face towards you, like looking for like food, right? Or when you grab their hand, put a finger in their hand and they grab it. Like they're just wanting that physical Mm -hmm. attachment to their caregiver. And I think it's so interesting how we have this natural desire and this natural hope that we're supposed to be taken care of. Yes. That just made me think about you, of course. Like you said, you're a new mom. And so now you have somebody to take care of. And like, he's he's relying on you. He's, I'm sorry, this sounds really heavy, but he... <laughs> he is. He's expecting a lot from you. So what is it like to become that source of home and that source of provision for another person? I think that it is... I'm going to try my best not to cry. It's like postpartum, like feelings. Um, It is like the honor of my life. It's so crazy. Um, I think there's this thing that happens, especially as women. It's this crazy empathy thing that happens like to your parents, right? It's wild to think that. And I think that being a parent too, it's like they've waited 34 years for me to say, well, mom, I can't believe you did this. You know, that's a long game to wait. (laughs) Um, But it is like an honor and the craziest job description, the craziest role I feel like, and yet oddly very natural Um, and really hard. I would say both. Um, It, makes me feel really, really grateful for my parents and how 
I feel very confident because I feel like I can see how a lot of moms like struggle with postpartum depression and I can see how a lot of people who don't have community, whether that's family or whether that's friends or whether that's a given, you know, a, a made community, like I can see how it could be really, really hard and really easy um, to, to have a really hard time, especially if you haven't had a strong like family upbringing to then raise your own family. And so I would say <laughs> it is an honor. It is the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the best thing I've ever done. I'm 10 weeks in and yeah, it's, it's almost like unexplainable and explainable. I think, um, the feeling, and I think that it's this, you know, you can have sympathy for parents, I think until you become a parent and then that changes over to empathy really quick. You know, I think for me it was, I'm being honest I think that I judged a lot of moms you know like damn you're really gonna let your kid cry it out like that like in the middle of the store you know whatever or like wow like I don't know I just had so many preconceived notions of what I thought I would be like as a parent what I judged other moms um and so embarrassingly so like now I just feel so embarrassed when I think of the judgments that I would have made um you know, not on purpose a lot of the times, but I think that it happens, especially with moms. I don't know why, with women against women, especially as well. Mm -hmm. But it is just, I feel so embarrassed at any judgment I had for any mom, you know, beforehand, because it is hard work and it is amazing. And it's all of those feelings all at the same time, which I didn't understand that you could miss working, but mm -hmm. also want to be at home with your baby at the exact same time with the exact level, like exact same level of intensity. Hmm. So it's been, um, <laughs> it's been amazing and it's been hard, both, all. Gotcha. I remember I asked my mom some question and I think I was just asking her about being a mom as well. And she told me an answer very similar to yours and she's 20, almost 21 years in. And she was like, it gives me the ultimate pleasure to be your mother. Like it's, it's an honor and everything. And for a second, because I don't have kids and because I don't know what it's like to be a mother for someone, I was like, dang mom, that sounds kind of sad. Like nothing else, like <laughs> nothing else is really your joy. Like right. what, what else is missing? But I, like you said, it's inexplainable. And so how do you balance being an individual, like being a person who, was not a mom and it is now a mom like how do you yeah how do you balance just just doing that how do you not lose yourself yeah I think you know it's so funny that you asked that question because those are questions that I asked myself hours weeks before Kiko was born days before he was born you know and I think that it was like you know I had this whole idea of how it was gonna go potentially how it's gonna split up the hours the time or da 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 um and now it almost feels like it's just a part of my identity, though. It's the same way that I'm Korean, the same way that I'm Christian, the same way that I'm from Washington, um, the same way that I'm a daughter, but a friend and a wife and a sister, you know, all sister, like all of these things. It doesn't feel so much. I think they're logistical things. Obviously, when am I answering emails, that kind of stuff? When am I organizing? Um, but the feeling of the role 
it doesn't feel like I've lost a part of myself. It feels like I've become a better version of myself mm-hmm. or there's an enhancement or there's like an addition. Like in Jamba Juice, when they ask you if you want to add something like a boost to it, it feels like that has now been added to my character and who I am as a person versus feeling like, how do, how did I, how do I not lose who I was before? It just feels like the next chapter and who I'm supposed to be almost. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. But <laughs> when it gets down to the nitty gritty, like if I'm answering, it's making sure I take a shower every day. <laughs> like it's the longest shower I want to take while my husband is watching him, you know? Mm-hmm. It's um, so making that time for yourself, taking solace and like being so grateful to be a mom in 2020 where there are other moms who are working, who are, who have done extraordinary things, both as a mom and as an entrepreneur or fill in the blank um, and seeing their example and knowing that it's not that other people have done it and that I have resources to be able to access that. Um, should I ask, like, did you have childcare? Like, how did you and your husband split up the time? If you didn't have a husband, if you're a single parent, how did you do that? You know, who was your support system? Um, being a mom in 2020 is really unbelievable because there are so many moms who have done so many amazing things and balanced both really well. Um, and so I, I look to them, you know, and I think, um, <laughs> I think making sure that there's alone time and making sure that there's good balance between me and my husband. Um, the other day, I just need to go out for a walk. You know, Alex came home early from work because I was having a really sort of a long day with Kiko. He wasn't napping. Um, FOMO, he just, he just wanted to miss out. And Alex was like, do you want to go on a family walk? And I was like, no, absolutely not. I want to <laughs> go on a walk by myself. Not with you, not with Kiko. Me, myself, and I, you know, and I think it's making sure to take time like that. Um, and and working with whoever is your support system in your life to make sure that, that you're not losing yourself. I think I wasn't feeling like I had the first month, and maybe in the last two weeks I've been like, wow, how do I want to get started again? Mm-hmm. You know, what does it look like to get started well? How do I, how do I refocus and it's not the same? You know, and I think getting questions like the ones that you sent me or having a friend ask me like, okay, we talked about the DA and how we need to vote her out. When are we getting back to the ballot together? And when are we making that PDF again for November 3rd for the election? You know, and so I think it's having community that I've had over the years through various like places and them continuing to do their thing and including me has made it so easy for me to feel like, oh, I'm not just a mom. Oh, I'm also still that person that was an organizer, someone that was community focused or someone that had events that were hopefully benefiting other people, you know? Um, So I think that building community before and just with throughout, you know, my time in LA, my time in New York, whatever, um, has helped foster like just natural questions and inclusion where people see fit which I'm so grateful for in this time being a mom um it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel like charity either which I'm grateful for you know it feels like friends really are reaching out to be like when are we doing back to the ballot hey I have this podcast I'm starting you know or whatever it is and I'm so so grateful for that as well I feel like the investment I made before having a baby has now served me 
um, as well now now being a mom I think that highlights just how important it is to like live purposely I can't help but think right now like the world does not stop for for births the world does not stop for death like the world keeps going and it's a really it's a weird place to want to either celebrate or want to mourn or just take a moment for yourself or for your family and to really like settle into the fact that this is a new chapter of your life when the world is like on a separate pace on a pace that it's a little bit difficult to keep up with yeah but that being said can you take us through your pregnancy journey because covid it was it was wild and for any mom right now who's pregnant and like going to the hospital it's just wild in the same way that for you to graduate this year is wild in its own particular way right like everyone is going to have crazy stories about this time about this time in history really like like you said i was supposed to give birth at a birth center you don't know what a birth center is is it's more um more natural less drugs um no surgery um it's the closest thing to giving birth at home without being at home to me it was a perfect middle between home birth hospital birth birth center I feel like is in the middle kind of to to crassly explain it um and going there so excited they have it's it's like a nice hotel room they have a tub they have birthing balls they have you know they have it's just a beautiful place that you would want to have a baby at I felt like I had visions of a water birth you know happening um and Kiko just did not want to come out he was good in there he was like the world sounds crazy I think I'm going to camp out here a little bit longer I don't blame him I don't blame him at all Um, my due date was March 25th it was uh 40 weeks was March 25th Kiko came out 41 weeks and six days so he almost hit 42 weeks um and when I went to the birth center they were like you don't have enough amniotic fluid which is a fluid around the baby and your placenta, which gives blood and nutrients and all that to the baby, um, is starting to calcify. So it's not working as properly as it was before, probably because he's been camped out in there. Your placenta is working for as long, as long as it needs to and not getting tired. So she, I was in labor, I was having contractions and she was like, you should go to the hospital now. And we are sorry, we can't recommend you having a birth at the birth center, but his heart rate was dropping after every contraction and not coming back up again as quick. Um, so I'll just say they wanted to send me to the hospital. And I said, okay, if that's like the best choice, I'm okay with that. I'd read a lot of books, like your birth is not always gonna go how you want it to go. But I was like, I'm gonna have a natural birth at the hospital. You, we get to the hospital, you're wearing masks, they check your temperature, I can't come in, I have to go in by myself, I'm having contractions. Mm. I'm in triage, um, the, the, the midwife's wearing a mask. Like, it just was very strange and surreal, I think. Um, and then I'm also in labor. Like, it's not like in the movies, like, ah, it wasn't like that yet. It was just like, oh, okay, that hurts a little, you know. Okay, five minutes later, that hurts. All right, like, let's, okay, this is going to happen. Um, long story short, uh they contractions were getting you know more I didn't want an epidural an epidural is the big needle they stick in your back and the whole half of your body goes numb um 
because I wanted to try naturally. Um, as close to the birth center option as I could, but in the hospital, right? Trying to be flexible. And then they give you something called Pitocin, which helps your contractions get more so that the baby will come out. Pitocin makes your contractions go quicker, so then it gets more painful. So then inevitably you ask for an epidural because they go hand in hand. So it's more drugs essentially together. But at that point, your girl doesn't care anymore. She gave me one epidural on the back. It didn't take. Mm. No, the epidurals couldn't take. And then she gave me another one in the back, and thank God it took. But at this point, I'm like, wow, I have so many drugs in my body. Um, my water hadn't broken yet. It broke. Right as all the nurses and doctors and midwives shift was changing, his heart it was dropping. And all of the new nurses and midwives didn't know sort of like my vitals, my averages, whatever. And so it turned this little bit of a panic, frantic mode. I thought all night I was like, wow, I am contracting. I am opening, opening, opening. I am a rose. This baby's going to slide out. It's going to be this beautiful thing. And I woke up in the morning and she was like, you have not dilated. Like you are still three centimeters. And I was like, I'm eight centimeters. Or I'm like nine. I'm like ready to go. Um, And then the midwife was like, I'm, I'm, you know, shift is changing at six or seven, whatever time it was. Um, But we should think about a C-section. And I was like, nah, I'm not even hearing those words. Like I'll stay here as long as I need to stay here, you know, kind of. And then after the shift change, it was like so many people in the room People I didn't know, it got a little bit hectic. Um, and they asked me to sign some C-section paperwork. And I was like, I'm just going to ask my doula. I'm like doing all the things that I learned in all, my, all the classes. Like, I'm just going to consult, you know, like you don't can't make me sign anything. Um, and then she called someone. She's like, she's not signing it. And I was like, what? I thought this is not an emergency situation. Like I thought I wouldn't have to sign it until it became an emergency situation. She's like, it was an emergency situation two minutes ago. It is an emergency situation now. And I was like, what is going on? And they couldn't find his heartbeat. It was dropping. And I looked at Alex and he said, it's okay. You can sign it. And our doula hadn't gotten back to us because it was like minutes, you know, like between. So I signed it. They put me onto a gurney. I cried on the way to the operating room because it was, I was so disappointed. But the week before I had put to memory, um, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, uh, Philippians four, six, and seven. Um, I like knew the verse, but I really wanted to memorize it before I went into labor. And right before they like opened me up, <laughs> I just kept saying that in my head. Um, and Alex was like telling me stories and I was numb, thank God, because two epidurals later. <laughs> and they, you know, they performed it really quickly. And I remember them saying, we have hair, you know, and Alex saying, um, you know, it's mostly a female team, actually. Oh, and wow. We're feeling so comforted by that and him knowing that that would comfort me. Um, and the only one of the only men in the room was an anesthesiologist who was like giving me more when I could feel sort of the pinch on my stomach. And his name was Uriah. 
and he was talking about how all of his kids had biblical names. <laughs> he had just had a kid five weeks before, and and then Kiko was here like minutes later, and I heard him cry and scream, and it was amazing. And he peed the second he got out. Um, he was very long, lots of hair, amazing. Um, but it was really, it was really strange because um, no visitors could come. Uh, my parents were there. They couldn't come. They weren't there. They were in L.A., but they couldn't come. Um, Alex couldn't join me in the rooms until, like, after. So what, when I got to the OR, he wasn't in there, and it just felt like I didn't have anything except for God in that verse, you know, to, like, lean on. And, you know, none of that really mattered after Kiko came out, honestly. I think there's still things that I'm processing in terms of, like, how I wish it would have gone and like grief that I think I'm still grieving in terms of how my birth went. Um, I found myself to be jealous of some moms when I see, hear about their birth stories or their home births. And I'm not a jealous person in that way. I would want that for them. But I think if I'm being honest, um, that's the only place where I really struggled. Um, but other than that, I feel like God knows that I don't know if I could have labored for three more days if I was only mm. like I when I got there I was like three so for her to say I was three and a half after like 24 hours was so discouraging so what I was going to stay there until I was 10 centimeters for how many more days you know yeah. I don't know if I could have done that and also I don't think I could have electively chosen a c-section because if I would have chosen it like signed off on paperwork if I was like dilated at five centimeters three days later or whatever, I think I really would have been like, could I have done it? Should I have waited longer? Like second guessing everything. I think God really knew that the only way I could have had a C-section is via an emergency. And when it happened, it happened really quick and really safely, you know, and, and my doula was saying, it's not that I'm against C-sections. A lot of doulas, sometimes or a lot of like women who are more like natural or, or homeopathic I feel like if that's the right word um mm -hmm. it seems like they don't want you to have a c-section or they like and on the flip side it seems like because so many hospitals just perform them because they seem easier and quicker they, they don't have patience for moms to like be laboring for longer but Amanda was like I don't hope I'm not sad that you had a c-section what but I just wanted to make sure for any woman who has a C-section is that she feels like she was comforted and safe, you know, during her C-section. And that it sounds like you were, you know. And so it, I think all of that combined has made me really grateful um, in imagining that it could not have happened any other way um, in my case. And um, what matters is that I'm healthy and that he's healthy and that he's here. I love Sarah's story so much. In fact, we continue our conversation in episode two coming out next Sunday. In the meantime, check out athomethepodcast.com for more resources related to this episode. Thank you to Skade Productions for the music and thank you for listening to At Home The Podcast. Be safe, be well, and remember you are always welcome here.